My name's Violet. We sort of met on the elevator. Sure, I'm Corky. Corky. Well, I heard you working in here, and I was just wondering if you'd like a cup of coffee. Sure. Come on in. I just give me a second. All right. So what happened to Rajiv? He went back home to India, someplace. But I think he'll be back. So this is just a temporary situation for you? Yeah, pretty much. You know, one day at a time. Hmm. I guessed you were straight black. Good guess. Thanks. My pleasure. To be perfectly honest, I did have a slightly ulterior motive. I was wondering if I might ask you a little favor. Favor? Yeah. You see, I'm kind of a night person, and I was wondering if you might wait a little bit before you start using the power tools. Uh, sorry. Oh, no, no. It's not your fault. It's just the walls here are so terribly thin. Really? It's like you're in the same room. But if it's too much trouble, I understand. No, it's no trouble at all. I got a lot of stuff I got to do here. You're doing all the work yourself? Mm. That is so amazing. I am so in awe of people who can fix things. My dad was like that. We never had anything new. Whenever anything was broken, he would just open it up, tinker with it a little bit, and fix it. His hands were magic. I'll bet your car is 20 years old. Truck. Truck. Of course. 63 Chevy. I knew it. Well, I guess it should be going. You can drop the cup off at any time. Thanks. My pleasure. Oh, I was talking about the microplastics and how um, they tried to do a study once on the effects of microplastics on the body, but they couldn't find a control group because everybody is affected by microplastics. Even babies? In the placenta. Oh, it really comes from the placenta? I have no idea. I thought it came from like the teat. Maybe. Maybe both. Maybe both. I don't know. I think they should do... There's got to be some control group here but we're not here to talk about microplastics that's just our day job we're here to talk about film because it's been a while right Gato? yeah it's been a while how have you been and we saw each other like a few days ago so (laughs) 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 well what have you been watching lately Uh, what's new with you i think the latest film that i'm i'm obsessed with as as problematic as it is is called rise roar revolt which is a tollywood film wait why is it problematic that that would just take another episode of beyond bisexual lighting to discuss it's really great but it's also problematic like the more you read about it the more you're like "Mm." but basically um and we'll go we'll, we'll we'll go with the scheduled programming but rise Rise, Roar, Revolt, or RRR, as it's called, is a three-hour Indian epic about (laughs) two revolutionaries that if they had met each other in real life, what would have happened? Are they not meeting each other in real life? No, because the Indian Revolution was from 1845, I think. No, 1852 to 19... 45 uh, approximately it's about 100 years right. i mean if you think about it it's similar to like the civil rights movement how long it was it was about like sure. 130 years so it's like i guess the equivalent of it for us it's like imagine if frederick douglas had met martin luther king okay or if Frederick douglas had met malcolm x i get what it what would happen sure like what what calamity would they cause for white people it's like that but it's in, in with like an indian context so it's like these two main revolutionaries that are big in Indian history, what happens if they join forces and they slaughtered a bunch of British people. Jesus. To beautiful sounds of of, of, awesome. of music and with awesome CGI tigers. That is the film. Oh, speaking of tigers, um I watched a Brazilian movie called Tres 
tigres tristes and it was pretty good because you went to the festival right well we went to the festival but before that um this one was screened online so there was a festival here in santiago called the amor festival where they were screening actually a lot of international films um from from latin america there were a few from from israel as well um and there was like a french film but they were all lgbtqi films and yeah i think we're starting to get like better better films coming here yeah i agree i really like this one um it basically goes throughout the day of i like those films where it takes all place in one day where um these two roommates just kind of it's like a slice of life type of movie and they just kind of go through and it's actually set during the pandemic and they acknowledge the pandemic so they wear masks and they like i don't know walk in and have to take their temperature which i feel i really appreciate because that's just real life that's so weird i know we're gonna watch that in a couple years and be like oh remember when we did that like i haven't because at least in, in Chile, I think we're not na- we're now now opening things up and we're now ditching the masks and but I still I don't think I've seen it in in film at least like that glossed over like 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 in film as like part right. of the film fabric here. Um, but yeah, we so we we kind of dropped the ball on all the other themes that we're gonna discuss this year. Because because life 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 happens. We're we're two working gals, working boys. So <laughs> you're a gal. <laughs> I'm I'm a gal boy. We're two working. No, let's we're two peons of capitalism. Well, I've been going to the cinema a lot lately too. The cinema. I saw Crimes of the Future, which I did not like. Yeah, that was. I'm not the biggest fan. Cronenberg. Cronen- Cronenberg. <laughs> Cronenberg, you could have done better. I love Cronenberg, but that that, what, he that peaked, could have been. He peaked in like the eighties. No, the, he peaked. So. He peaked with Crash. He peaked he with pe- Crash. Peaked. That that's that's the pinnacle of, of why even bother anymore. And I saw Nope. I haven't. I'm I'm seeing Nope tonight. Oh, you are. I am. I haven't seen it yet. Oh so. yeah, I really like Nope. Doing like a, a I really appreciate. I really uh, I really appreciate um, Jordan Peele doing like a horror double thriller because i'm watching nope and then tonight and then afterwards i'm gonna watch barbarian you're not gonna watch rrr again no that's gonna be this weekend okay i'm gonna watch it but i've been listening to the soundtrack uh a lot it's it's really funny going into the metro and all of a sudden you you hear like yeah like out of your ears and and people look at you funny because you're wearing like the those bose headphones (laughs) And they're like, what are you, what are you, what chanting are you listening to? But, um, well, we promised, we've, we've been preparing for this, sh- this episode for a really long while, um, which the episode is called Salacious Female Friendships, because there's a, there's like a lot to unpack with, w- with even just the term itself, like salacious female friendships, um, what do we mean by salacious? How do we define these these female friendships? Obviously, we in my case, I I titled it salacious uh, female friendships, kind of as a as an ode to to what kind of like what lesbianism was in like the fifties and sixties. <laughs> you know, when it's like you had all these really pulpy les like U.S. lesbian novels that was like. Jenny and Trinity are in camp. What happens when their worlds collide? And stuff like that. And like the cover is like I don't know, like a teenage girl with like trying to cover up her boobs and then you have like a much older woman that's exploiting her. Anyway. Like Carol? Yeah. It's oh, kind yeah. Of, it's like that. It's kind of like Carol. But I feel like Carol's super innocent in in some ways. But well, we picked we had a whole list of movies we were going to choose for this theme and Carol was on it. Yeah. So was Martyrs. So was Martyrs. Um we oh gosh, we We'd like so to many. cover Martyrs later. But. I I feel like this eventually similar to coming of age, we'll, we'll have a we'll have a part 2 for sure. Um, I don't think like immediately, but I think there's a 
there's a lot in 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 the repertoire of of uh, the field of salacious female friendships. But I with with the films that we're going to discuss today, I think the focus that we wanted to um, and kind of the question, the the thesis statement or the thesis question that we wanted to focus on was a what what happens a what happens with the male gaze if it's done from a woman's perspective? Right. Because these films, I think what all of these films have in common, and before we dive in, is that there's... Um, I, mean, I mean, I I would say all of these films are, 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 are very, very sexual um, in, in, in nature. Trigger warning, I guess, if you... If you because there's topics of like sexual abuse and and etc. But um, but I think it's what's most interesting is that all of these films, almost all of these films, were directed by by cis straight men, um, with the exception of the last film, um, which I think it, which is bound by the Wachowski sisters which I think is even more interesting because at that time the I mean we we can't I can't get into the heads of the Wachowski sisters but at that time when bound was released the Wachowski sisters were not were assigned as birth as the Wachowski brothers so and that's all that's really interesting when you think about how even then the Wachowski sisters from the context that they had with this film also kind of turned heads with this concept of of yeah the the the, the male the male gaze from a from a from a woman's perspective or from a uh, a female perspective so let's get into it we have our first movie heavenly creatures um this one is directed by Peter Jackson. You might have heard boy, of him. Boy. He's done a couple. He's done okay, I guess. He's not that successful. He's, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, he took a he he, he did he, like a Lord of the Flies type trilogy. I don't know. Wait, with the rings. Never mind. I mean, maybe he could have done a Lord of the Flies, but yeah, he did a, a he did a little known trilogy called the Lord of the Rings. And you probably haven't heard about it. You know, it won some like Academy Awards. You know. Um, so this movie is starting, um, it's set in New Zealand, first off, uh, starring Melanie Linsky, who plays Pauline, and a very young Kate Winslet, super young, she's like in her, she's like 20 years old, right? This was before... The Titanic. This was for Titanic, yeah. and a Kate, so to, Kate Winslet was already... She was she was somewhat well known in in the UK, um, but obviously this was like her first international film. And Melanie Linsky is a New Zealand actress. Um, she's now in this show that I've heard amazing things called, uh, about called Yellow Jackets, which, funny enough, is a Lord of the Flies type situation. It all comes full circle. It all comes full circle. Um, actually, my favorite Peter Jackson film. I, I recommend aside from Heavenly Creatures on well and Lord of the I mean I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan but Meet the Feebles I really recommend that we'll put it on like the recommendations list but if you like um, if you like Jim Henson's The Muppets but on acid and crack I really recommend <laughs> Meet well, the Feebles that's what's but yeah Heavenly Creatures it's it's based on a true story it's so what happened was a New Zealand um, had a case of basically this gruesome murder that was done of, of, of a woman that was done by her daughter and her daughter's best friend. And not a lot is known about the case per se because at that time both of these women were minors. So in that case a lot of the information was hidden and both of them went their separate ways. So a lot of the film comes from the depiction of Pauline, Melanie, Melanie Linsky, Pauline Parker, uh, who w- w- 
was you would say the orchestrator of the the murder left behind a diary that was read extensively during the trial so a lot of this is from her perspective a lot of the film is from 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 her perspective of how she viewed her relationship with Juliet who was the accessory to the crime um, how she viewed her family her her lifestyle because they're yeah, there was a bit of a difference between Juliet and Pauline, right? Yeah, different two different worlds. I mean, Pauline um, obviously her mother was the one murdered for a reason. I'm not trying to victim blame, but um, Pauline comes from a very, let's say, traditionally uh, conservative family, and Juliet's family, played by Kate Winslet, Juliet. Um, I think is a more much more adorned and much more um, a liberal in a lot of senses. Universities, you know, they're they're college educated. They are intellectuals. While um, they've tra- they're yeah they're they're travelers. They're Pauline's family UK. is much more working class, um, country bumpkin type New Zealand folk. <clears throat> and- they meet in school and they connect because both of them, when they were younger, they had chronic illnesses and they almost died. And so a, there's a lot of, when they meet, there's a lot of like first this kind of, I would say like fetishization of their illness, like uh, uh, Peter Jackson and, and friend, Fran Walsh, who was also the, the co-director and, and, and co-writer of the film, Fran Walsh is Peter Jackson's wife, it creates this quite a f- very dream world landscape um, that is weaved in with what happens with the diary entries of Pauline. That basically Pauline and Juliet, from their illness, they create this dream landscape in which no one can understand them no one can touch them there's because of what they've been through they are morally and intellectually uh, superior um than their colleagues in a lot of senses right so this film has a lot of um those scenes where i don't know how peter jackson did it a lot of them are so magical and beautiful um for anyone who's seen Heavenly Creatures, there's a lot of this sort of dreamlike essence to it. Um, trying to think of, there's a scene with like the some soldiers that are made out of sand. Yeah, he does. Well, Peter, I it's a lot of like claymation. Peter, too. Yeah, Peter Jackson comes from the reason he's so he has like a really good eye is that peter jackson also comes from like in like um, an animation background uh his wife also came from like a mixed visual arts background so actually his wife helped in in creating these like kind of kind of terracotta these terracotta soldiers that you were mentioning yeah but they create this own basically this own kind of i would the best way i can explain it is this post-apocalyptic kingdom that is almost like heaven for their made-up religion it's it's a made-up religion and 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 these different sorts of creatures come in support of them and there's a lot of role play involved and uh, pauline and juliet play this king and queen and their correspondence to each other is based under this sort of kind of role play dynamic that they're king and queen of this this kingdom this kingdom that's not known by a, a mere mortals and that is almost kind of like in the lesion fields in, in and of itself and then even and within that kind of interwoven into this subtext that's where you start to see a little bit more of their relationship and how their relationship starts to become a little bit more obsessive oh yeah it gets obsessive it gets a little bit manic um well we're also talking about two teenage girls so the hormones are flaring up i mean i think yeah i feel like when female female friendships in a lot of ways and and, and it's interesting that we start off in this one because it's just like the the youngest i would say out of 
the female friendships is that it's it always kind of poses a threat right we see like female friendships is like a very much like threatening to uh, what is kind of deemed like heteronormative values in society mm-hmm. i think we've discussed this outside of the podcast like this this kind of hierarchical standard that we give to romantic relationships that we don't give to, to platonic ones platonic ones are or not even or kind of even kind of dividing it that way it's you know how do you define pl- platonic relationship because i it, and that's the thing that i think peter jackson kind of plays with a lot is that if this relationship is consummated or not what does it mean to be platonic if the feelings that these two people have for each other is, is they're, it's, it's so romantic it's so passionate it, it's in, it's incredibly passionate and obsessive and all-consuming and they go through these trials of, of separation because of their illnesses and because of their different backgrounds and also their families start to realize that something's up yeah oh yeah and they really try to separate them because of lesbians you know and that's, can't have their daughters be gay which is funny because it's in the the whole the, the trope of because like like we mentioned this is within this really fantastical background it's not till maybe about the 40 or 50 minute mark of the first words of you know homosexuality are 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 termed and this is by the person that and the psychologist that evaluates uh, Pauline and based on Pauline's behavior, assuming mm. these, you know, these girls are going down the, the dark dark path of homosexuality, <sighs> right? And what that ensues, but I think Peter Jackson, Peter Jackson makes it even more complicated than that because Pauline also embarks on a very sexualized relationship with her boarder, John. Which that's a weird power dynamic in of itself because he's an older he's like man. an older man. He's like a teacher. Yeah, or like yeah. a teacher, a writer, and and at, yeah, and at one point in this kind of while she's like rebelling, she embarks on this very sexual relationship with with John, and that's like her first sexual experience and she marks it as so and she marks it with a sense is with a sense of desire but obviously it's a very different desire than what she has with Juliet. right and then also i remember the sex scene with pauline and him john oh that how bad it was it was horrible i'm not sure uh i remember losing my virginity or having my first sexual awakening and it reminded me kind of of that like a lot of thrusting yeah it's it's, it's just a lot of that and not much of anything else which I, I think like Peter Jackson kind of plays like with his fantasy and, and real worlds in such a stark contrast because as you as Pauline and Juliet they create this sort of romantic narrative within their fake world their fake kingdom a it, it gets broken up by these little vignettes of monotony and almost say kind of like I almost it would say kind of like this violence that occurs because in a lot of ways you would argue that the Pauline sexual relationship is not a is not an equal se- sexual relationship it's an older man that's taking advantage of her and deflowering her mm-hmm. and then you contrast that with Pauline and Juliet's first sexual encounter and it's very different it's it's in this guise of like consent and 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 role play and it's very dreamy and even 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 the way Jackson uses color is also uh, super fascinating uh, as well to kind of do this kind of stark contrast within it Speaking of power dynamics, um, we also wanted to talk about The Handmaiden. This one's a controversial one. I feel like a lot of people really love this movie and really uh, hold it in high regard. It's directed by Park Chan-wook, who also directed Old Boy, 
I feel like we're really talking about some very prolific male directors here. Yeah, Park Chan Wook. Uh, I, f- I feel like Park Chan Park Chan Wook. Well, he's done he's done so much. I mean, he's, he's done, done so much. Boy. He's done Old Boy. He's done, done Lady my, Vengeance. Vengeance. He's done my favorite, which is which is Stoker, and and yeah, and it's and also this also deals with a with a power dynamic as well. Um, it's the film is set in 1930s Korea. This is actually when uh, when the Japanese had occupied uh, Korea, and it's it's so many, so layered. But it's a, it's a woman, basically a con artist. She is hired as a handmaiden to a Japanese heiress who lives in basically this countryside, and she has a lot of money. And the con artist is helping this her basically helping her co-conspirator who is a count conspire to marry this heiress this countess for her money and so basically it's this con to screw over this woman but in the end the women start falling in love it's and I know that's some that's like the best summary I can make because there's so many twists and turns and 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 layers to this film. But like Gato said, super controversial. And you can talk about why. Well, I just want to say I feel like with salacious female friendships, there's always they're always scheming, they're always in some kind of crime. All of these movies have crime involved. Yes. Yeah. And that's a funny thing because we see them as sort of you know, partners in crime, but then they're also um, falling in love at the same time. It's a very much like a Thelma and Louise type situation. Yeah, yeah, you see, it's, I think more more than like crime, it's these women that live on the fringes of society in, yeah. in, in, in some way. So in this case, The Handmaiden both of the women live on different fringes of society you have and you 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 have Suki who is the con artist that she she's a Korean woman that comes from a lower class background and basically she has to pretend that she has an understanding of aristocracy in order to get closer to this heiress, Lady Hideko, who ends up being a somewhat of a trickster herself. So it's basically kind of on the on the on the surface. There's a and this also happens, and I think all, a lot of the films is this kind of code switching. There's a lot of code switching that goes on in The Handmaiden, uh, Heavenly Creatures as well. But I think in The Handmaiden, it's so layered because there's not just gender code switching. When 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 I started reading a little bit more about the the film context, given that it um, dealt with with the Japanese occupation of Korea, you start realizing that there's the code switching within the context of cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, all these people basically try to pretend that they're Japanese, uh, either by or, or or when they're within a certain subject, they speak in Japanese or they speak in Korean. Um, obviously, there's a code switching in terms of gender. Um, these women kind of go through this code switching in terms of what does it mean to be dominant and submissive uh, with their sexuality, mm-hmm. and and I think in 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 that sense, yeah, in that sense, it's super. Um, the part of the code switching I think leads to a little bit of the controversy within the film when, especially when you. You look at the very graphic sex scenes. They're extremely oh, graphic. Yeah. They're extremely, you would almost say kind of gratuitous in a lot of ways. Do you remember the movie, um, uh, what's, blue something, the, the oh, color blue, blue. Blue is the warmest color. Blue is the warmest color. I fucking hate that movie. But there's a sex scene. The reason I don't like it is because it's boring as fuck but yes, also because the sex scene that is like known 
as one of the most grotesque, like, um, violent sex scenes, is also directed, and this is going back to the sort of male gaze, it's very male gazy, and the director kept making them play the scene over and over and over again, like keep acting out that scene. And so the girls were basically exhausted and they had to keep trying to better this sex scene. And they were like, I don't know, very young too. Yeah, dude, they were... They were like barely 18. Yeah, I think in... Yeah, the one of... Not, not, not the one that's now famous. I always forget her name. The one that's now famous. The other one. The, there's the one that's now famous that she was in it that she she did. was in Crimes of the Future the Crimes in the Future yeah I love her Sidhu Leah Sidhu Leah Sidhu yeah she was older but yeah the other girl was like I think not a day, not a day above eighteen anyway but so going back to this um yeah a lot of the scenes were very graphic not so much that it was um, offensive or anything but just that it was um, kind of this a very loving kind of sex between two women um so talking about power dynamics we're talking about a high class society lady and her basically slave at this point yeah that's yeah that's the thing i mean i you say loving i don't i almost find it the the last scene is loving okay yeah yeah i'm not talking about the other ba- ones yeah i mean basically like there's a kind of there's like several kind of linga scenes um they shove things up their their mm. vaginas yep. um they scissor who hasn't they scissor but there's almost like and i think park changwook does this really really well is that he there's almost kind of like a comedic aspect which i think that's what causes this controversy of you know is this sex scene because the argument is, are these sex scenes that are created, are are they for the benefit of male viewers? Are they are they expressing these women's desires? And I don't. I mean, I'm I'm not gonna say I have a clear answer to that I don't. I just only have what I what I feel like it is, and I and I think someone else who could view the film could view it very differently. Mm. And the sex scenes are are sometimes super super. I mean, they're incredibly ironic, but sometimes it it, it it borders on that point of comedic. And when they say things to each other, that was like, oh, you're so experienced. You're the best I've ever had. Like very typical porny, like very typical porny scripts when they have sex. Yes. But then when you realize kind of the subtext within it, it starts to make kind of a little bit more sense when you find out that Lady Hideko is not this innocent woman because the first sex scene is similar to Heavenly Creatures that I feel like it happens to all 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 female friendships that's like I want to know how to kiss a boy but I don't know how to could you show me yeah <laughs> it's, it's like could <laughs> Let you me pretend teach you <laughs> yeah it's like let's pretend that you're the boy and I'm the girl and then it leads from there <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but this in that's what because lady hideko she's she's supposed to be a virgin and she's being handed off so she's oh, yeah so she's she goes to suki and she's like suki i don't know anything about sex will you show me scissoring several scissorings later <laughs> and then you find out that hideko is like basically this sort of like BDSM showgirl because that's part of her job her job at the time which because obviously porn didn't exist in the medium that it exists now right lady hideko's job was to read and reenact erotic literature that was created by her uncle her uncle who was actually korean but he pretended to be japanese in order to get into aristocratic aristocratic society so you start realizing and this they tell you like halfway through in the film because you think oh lady hideko she's so innocent how how dared this con artist fuck her over and then she, she it's lady hideko that puts suki and in, in in the insane asylum and then right. 
And then you're like, whoa, plot twist. Like, I thought y'all loved each other. And then new plot twist. Lady Hideko is like a minx. And she... And it's super visually done because it's like, okay, how do you... How do you reimagine porn in in like the early 1930s and there's like one scene that lady hideko she's like on a wooden mannequin yeah in front of a huge audience of these pervy douchebags and and reenacting these these stories right and and so you and so you see you see those kind of twists in in and i think a lot of that is a lot of the layers are what kind of caused the controversy and led a lot of people to kind of argue whether whether this is a film that really talks about women's liberation through sexuality or if it's just this pervy director that's just trying to get his kicks under the guise of liberation mm-hmm. um i know that for at least because this is based on a book um, as well, the the original author of the book really really enjoyed it and really thought that that was kind of the whole the whole gist of it is that basically that these women have to expropriate this male notion of pornography in order to express their desires that that's the only way that they can do that behind closed doors because in the end their relationship will is and will continue to be forbidden unless it's not used within that scope or within that sort of lens if that makes sense um yeah we had written a fact or i guess it's more of a quote but when asked if she thought the sex scenes reproduced tired sichette fantasies of girl-on-girl action sarah waters offered a considered counterpoint Fingersmith was about finding space for women to be with each other from away from prying eyes. Through ironically the film is story told by a man, it's still very faithful faithful to the idea that the women are appropriating a very male pornographic tradition to find their own way of exploring their desires. I guess if that's what you're taught all your life, then that's all you really know. So when you experience uh intimacy with another woman how else would you really i think feel like it's expressed as like that's the ultimate way to show affection and uh eroticism i think that's the that's that's the thing and i and i think you can argue that with almost anything that has already has already been created with a patriarchal cishet lens i mean you could say the same thing about sex work is that in the end sex work is appropriating something that was used as a form of male dominance and subjugation Mm -hmm. for expressing one's desires and autonomy as a woman and and i think that's the that's a very similar kind of argument similar kind of controversies where does that kind of line fall i think where it's different in blue blue is the warmest color i think and and something to kind of defend park chan wook and the handmaiden um in this case they worked with consent they did consent training and sensitive sexual sensitivity training i think that's what it's called it's like you you discuss like the movements that you're going to do and stuff like that okay and and park chang wrote it or or adapted the screenplay but the his co-writer is also a woman and i think there there's a lot of differences in terms of the dichotomy of it and I think as well, this is something that if you have seen Park Chan-wook's other, other films, he works a lot with this idea. I think Stoker's another great example. Um, and his latest film, which came out this year called Decision to Leave, he works with this dichotomy. This, this idea of women that are given the tools within this very kind of patriarchal society how do they use that as a way to express their own autonomy? I like to call it the gone girl effect, basically. <laughs> the cool girl. Yeah, the cool girl effect. Well, Lady Hideko and Suki are definitely cool girls. They are cool girls? I don't know. I think they're cool girls. In reference to the gone girl? Yeah, dude. They like end up, basically, they end up like double crossing without giving too many spoilers away 
they because you 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 think that these are women kind of pitting against each other and then they end up oh, no. double crossing that's the not what happens and in like a really really kind of heinous way i love the way that they they trick the the, the viewer the the men and, and also oh, the yeah. viewers itself i mean like because we as the viewers are also being super voyeuristic and and displaying our own presumptions that's desires a, what that's basically what the male gaze is a yeah. lot of uh people have a bad interpretation of what the male gaze is um i always suggest to read theory because it's not so much about a man made this therefore it's through the lens of the male gaze we as a viewer are the lens and so so yeah, I feel like The Handmaiden is a great example of that, of us sort of understanding that we are a part of the scene and we're a part of the plots and that they really uh, take us on a ride that we didn't really expect. Which I think is what makes this the next film we're going to talk about even, like, even more so, even more questioning bound and... I, I know Caro recently saw it, so I, I, I don't know if you wanted to give a little bit of a, a synopsis of what it's about. Sure. Um, Bound is directed and written by the same directors of another pretty famous movie, The Matrix, um, the Wachowski sisters. This is starring Jennifer Tilly. She plays Violet. Jennifer Tilly is the one who was in... Uh, child's play or no not child's play but the bride of chucky she has that like deep voice i remember her also from liar liar yeah and she plays that like in the court scene she plays that like kind of bad mother and she's just like i hate these kids <laughs> fuck them <laughs> I mean, she always plays very complicated characters and then we have tina gershon who plays corky which is a fun name and then joey Pant. Liano plays Caesar. Those are the main characters. We have a lot of side characters because this is movie based on um, Corky, a tough female ex-convent working on an apartment renovation in a Chicago building, meets a couple living right next door. The walls are so paper thin that they can hear everything that happens. And as it happens, um, Caesar, who is the paranoid mobster and Violet, who is his seductive girlfriend, and who also is immediately attracted to Corky upon seeing her, um, are a part of the Chicago mob. And so, shit happens. I, when I, because I, 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 I saw Bound, I, it, I, you saw it more recently than I did, but one of the things that I, well, obviously we talk about that complexity when, I mean, Lana and, and Lily Wachowski, when they created this film, I mean, they, they, they were they they were signed male at birth. Um, I think that's important to 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 note that, not just within the context of the film, but also in the context of the 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 medium as well and the type of genre of this film, which is is definitely very film noir. And when you think of film noir, yeah. film noir is probably the most male gazy genre you that think so? I would argue that it, it, if you if you take the the history of, of film noir or what are the components of it which film noir has to deal with this jaded anti-hero that's always a man you always have the femme fatale in, in this case in this it's case, very dark everything is so dark it's everything everything it's is like, always at night yeah well it's like your score yeah but you, you always have the the super masculinized anti-hero. You have the femme fatale, which the femme fatale is just a projection of the anti-hero's desires. And then you also have a lot of, especially in the time of film noir, you have a lot of kind of layered sexual subtext because of, because of censorship reasons and, and a lot of that sort of kind of male, a lot of the... A lot of the implications within a film nor film were very male coded um and 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 insinuated there are a lot of innuendos that are very male oriented and in this case bound kind of 
flips that on its head because it's it's quirky that's the the anti-hero oh yeah in this case and she's hot and and it's violet that is the femme fatale but it's not a femme fatale that is just only there for the realization of the desires of, of the anti-hero of the anti-hero right but a complex character in its own right so um because of the fact that this is about a mob and also because when i saw joey oh, his name is so italian pantolianos Pantoliano. pantalones <laughs> when i see his um his face i was like means. Pants? I don't know. Joey like, pants? Like, what if like I Joey Denim? Watch it. Watch it be like a villa in Italy, like That's so pant tr- villa. Slacks. Yeah, they're known for their. <laughs> anyway, um, Joey was also in his character was, sorry, Joey was also in uh, The Sopranos. Do you remember? Who did he play in The Sopranos? Oh, he played that really evil, just like kind of side plot character, who um was in a relationship with uh, Tony's sister. He's al- he always plays that sort of like Italian mobster. And archetype. he was like an abusive, he like, you know that one episode where uh, a, a sex worker is murdered? Yeah. He is the character who murders her. That guy. Yeah. Yes. No, that's, he's, he's always like a scummy dude. Yeah. He's a scummy dude. It's just something about his face that I really don't like. Um, I'm sure he's a great guy. I don't know. He has like a Keebler elf face. Yeah, he's weird. You don't, you know, like a Keebler elf. It's like little, but like you don't fuck with a Keebler elf. It's more about his voice too. It's like that typical like uh, Italian mobster stereotypical voice. Um, anyway, yeah, he scares the the he scares the bejesus out of me. I don't know. I would not like to meet this man ever in my life. But where was I going with that? Um... Yeah, so he plays the boyfriend to Violet, and they're a part of this mob. And so there's a lot of side characters that come in, like the big guns, the big guys. One of them is Chris Maloney, who <laughs> played in Law & Order SVU. Our, our favorite. Our favorite. Uh, he's Slater. He's my... Yeah, he's also Slater. Slater. He's Detective Slater. Detective Slater. Detective Slater. Um, so he is also in it. And yeah, I thought it was a really fun movie. What I really liked about it, though, was the fact that um, it doesn't necessarily... It's all sort of set in this apartment complex. And a lot of the time that's due to budget restraints. But also, I liked the fact that um, they really played with the apartment complex as its own character. Because we have Corky. She's like this tough uh, ex-convict type mechanic working on toilets. And the wall is so thin that she can hear everything going on in the next apartment. And it just happens to be this like amazing condo. Like completely renovated and beautiful. And that's where um, Violet and Caesar live. And they hear, um, Corky hears a lot of uh, crimes happen. <laughs> People's fingers getting cut off. People like, screaming. People getting bludged the head. She's like super, I think that's also the interesting thing is that she's super voyeuristic. Um, yeah. Which, so she's a snooper. And, and, and again, like, bringing back voyeurism is also almost always seen through the context of 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 the male gaze the voyeurism is always seen as this sort of kind of um passive way of projecting one's fantasies and and uh, one's sexual fantasies especially in the context of, of 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 a man you you see this a lot for example and in films like Cat People or Rear Window, that it's always yeah. these male voyeurs that get into trouble and because they just can't mind their own business. Exactly, but Corky case, can't mind her own business. She can't mind her own business. She's just like, what the fuck is going on next door? And also, who's this Violet? She's hot. And the first fifteen minutes is just them having sex, and it's like again that sort of kind of porny erotic 
eroticism that um you know we see like there I, sp I think especially with the setting it's really beautiful but also it's very much like um an interpretation of how women have sex and it's a lot of fingers in vaginas <laughs> it's a lot of just fingering and then manual dexterity is what I, I call it. It's a lot of manual dexterity. Right. Um, and then we don't see them ever touch for the rest of the film, which is really interesting. I really thought that was nice. Um, I think it's super smart. I think it's it's super not. Let's get it out of the way. Yeah. I think for like a marketing purposes, because I when the trailer came out i think a lot of it and this is this again this is why we we it's important to question this whole aspect of male gaze because there's every film goes through marketing changes based on what a studio does and i, and I think bound that was kind of the ideas that focus on this whole like oh my god lesbians having sex and which Wachowskis are like that's just like the first 10 minutes and then everything else is it's like this multi-layered oh and it's so fun crime film behind it and, and i think it's really clever and, and and you start to question how are these films kind of portrayed because the handmaiden also went through like a very similar marketing scheme the marketing is very different when it was marketing korea as opposed to the u.s mm -hmm. korea focused on a lot of the historical aspect really really downplayed the sexual undertones whereas in the u.s well the u.s marketing was yeah, they like hype it up yeah it was like oh my god these like korean girls get it on and they scissor each other like i felt like that was such if you look at the trailer, yeah it's like a lot of and it's so much more than that i mean that's a big part of it there's scissoring that happens <laughs> but it's not just that it reminds me There's of it reminds me of the jennifer's body marketing campaign for when that movie came out because it was i mean megan fox being megan fox um was marketed as this bombshell go see this movie happens to be about these two girls who are best friends and then they like get together but beyond and that, we're obsessed with each other. Like that's like the thing. It's about a yeah. It's, it's not at all about friendship. It's not at all about um her and other men or other boys. But it was marketed that way, and so that a bunch of like teenage boys would go see it and be like, Megan Fox boobs, yeah. And 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 it's similar to the last film and the last film that we're we're gonna discuss, um, which is called The Duke of Burgundy. I I also noticed when i saw the trailers for it that it's the, the it's super super sexualized and the, the duke of burgundy is it's a film that was released in 2014 by peter strickland and peter strickland not much known in the u.s but like super more well known in the uk um he's on films like barbarian sound studio and uh, which people know because uh broadcast did the soundtrack uh, for that film um but basically it's it's a film about these two women that explore sadomasochistic fantasies as a as a mistress and a maid and that's a huge marketing aspect the trailer focuses on that dynamic but it's more importantly than that it's seen as what is the power dynamic within a like within the context of a love story um, these are two women who are in love with each other, but obviously they deal with this sort of kind of distance of, I think it, this happens in every relationship, right? That you, you want to fulfill your partner's desires mm -hmm. and not just on a sexual standpoint, but you want to fulfill the needs of your partner and be the person that you're partner assumes that you are when you first meet them right so more than it's funny because it's marketed as as an erotic film because there is an eroticism to it and it's it stars Sitsu Nudson as Cynthia and Kiara uh, Diana as Evelyn and there's a power dynamic between it and Cynthia is a 
They're both entomologists, which is also really interesting, but not just any type of entomology. They do uh, lepidoptery, which is moths and butterflies. And they, the study of moths and butterflies. So it's always within this really visual context of how bugs interact and bugs mate. And Cynthia is the professor. Evelyn is her pupil. But sexually, Evelyn is the more domineering one, the one that wants to have more of these BDSM-like scenarios and roleplay. And Cynthia is very much the more conventional one that just wants to have a normal relationship basically. So it's like the Fifty Shades of Grey um, but with twee. Yeah, it's a twee. I like that. It's a twee Fifty, 50 Shades of Grey. <laughs> like, what did you say? The opening feels like a Bell and Sebastian music video. <laughs> which it really does. God, I... we really date ourselves there. We're very much uh, millennials. Yeah. <laughs> no, it really... I, even the cover, I don't know if you saw the cover for the Duke of Burgundy, but yeah. it looks like a Bell and Sebastian. I think the same art director did it. I'm 100% certain. But what's fascinating about this film, I, I like that you mentioned Fifty Shades of Grey because I think you have Fifty Shades of Grey where it totally fails the Betchel test. It's, oh, yeah. it's It was written by a woman, but it's obviously it's just projecting what she feels are a man desires whereas in this film this is a film that doesn't the whole concept of lesbianism isn't even addressed because it's just a standard mm-hmm. why because there's no fucking men in this or in this film That's no awesome. fucking men exist in this universe it's like imagine a universe where there's no men and it's super fascinating because it's it shows places that men dominate a lot like academia and these both women are in an academic setting they go to right. conferences biologies yeah science yeah science that's a, it's 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 science academia and there are no men um and and it's something that like even when you when you go into it and that's why it's really interesting when you mention male gaze is not what people think that's like, oh, well, a man directs it, therefore it's male gaze. It's- or it's set up for um, typical ways that men look at women. But it's how, the about view, that. how we almost trick ourselves into it. Because when we first see this film, Duke of Burgundy, we trick ourselves being like, oh, they're like having to keep it hidden because they're both women and they're lesbians because it's almost set in it looks like it's set in like the 1950s so it 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 looks like kind of like a carol-esque type of situation where it's like oh they're behind closed doors because they're lesbians and they have Mm -hmm. to keep their relationship hidden because it's academia and then when you start going deeper and deeper into the film you realize you as the viewer you become you you realize that you have are putting your own stereotypes and you have your own socially deluded concepts and you're you're becoming your own agent of the male gaze in assuming this and in assuming that these are why the characters have the motivations that they do mm-hmm. and it's not until halfway into the film there's a scene where um, Evelyn, who is the student but is the more domineering one, she wants a how do I say this? She wants a bed for her birthday, but the bed has a secret chamber underneath where you can lock a, a basically store a human body. Nice. And so what she wants that she wants to be stored in the trundle, I guess the trundle is the best way of the bed, where her her partner is sleeping on top that's the fantasy she wants for her for her birthday um sounds very serial killer right and then and so you think about it and you're like oh my god what the fuck is this like is this real just a ted bundy biograph and what's crazy is that they they go and they see this person that like a basically this bdsm expert and the BDSM expert was like, oh, these beds, they normally take like six weeks to make, but we have so much demand, it's going to take double the time. And that's when you realize, oh shit, this is 
a world unlike anything. You just assume like, oh, okay, this woman is going to do it for them and it's going to be super under the table, but it's so normalized. Even the aspect of having, there's like at one point they have like a toilet where like they have to force the person to sit in the toilet for days at a time. All of these sexual instruments are so normalized that like, oh, they're in back order. Like it's an Ikea catalog. Like she pulls out a little fucking BDSM Ikea catalog and was like, "Mm, this is available. This is available. No, this is high demand. And you're like, what? You're like, holy shit. I've never seen anything like this before. Like, and, and so it's really interesting what you say about yeah aspect of, of, of what does it mean to have the male gaze because we as viewers we become so guilty of that mm-hmm. when we watch film that we from the get-go we project our own social norms and what's beautiful about duke of burgundy is unlike handmaiden unlike uh bound there's no nudity in no, there isn't at all there's no nudity um, in fact a lot of the sex scenes are kind of blurry yeah and it's on and it's on purpose. There's no like this gratuitous satisfaction. You don't like you don't see it. Right. You almost see it as like this this is like a channel which they're expressing their frustrations as a as a couple because mm-hmm. they're starting to realize they're like past the honeymoon stage and they're starting to realize that they both want really different things. Right. Out of it. There's like a there's like a scene where you'll see them later uh, evelyn like cheats on cynthia but you never see the consummation you just see cynthia accuses evelyn of cleaning another woman's boots right and she goes batshit and she's like you clean another woman's boots without telling me and she was like She's like, no, I didn't think it was a big deal. I didn't think it was a big deal. It's like, no, it wasn't the fact that you cleaned the boots. It was that you never told me. You never told me when you were doing sneaking around. Cleaning yeah. boots. And exactly when you realize that, that the cleaning boots is an expression of sexual desire right. and, 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 and love and everything, you're realizing, like, oh, no, it's like equivalent of, like, she was sleeping with a motherfucker, basically. Yeah. I mean... She downright cheated by cleaning boots, and and that's so. It, it it's like one of those things that just like constantly gets you when you watch it. It's super super beautiful, and yeah. I think this is like we mentioned. I think this is a series that we're gonna probably do multiple. More salacious female friendships. Yeah, there are just so many. We had a whole list. There's like a, yeah, well, you know, let us know if you guys have like a favorite, you know, salacious female friendship uh, film that you want us to talk about. Let us know what you think about our theories, because we could also be wrong. I mean, these all could be considered completely misogynistic films and we could agree to disagree. But I think it, it brings up that kind of topic that we're going to discuss a lot later in in later episodes that if what constitutes a a a queer film i think that's also like a a, a, something that we've talked about a lot is uh, these are all of all of these men are with the exception of the wachowski sisters but these are cis hetero men um and in and in some cases they they the execution is it done is done so so brilliantly um so what what does that mean how do we, how do we kind of change that with the scope of like queer film would you say handmaiden is a is is a is a queer film the way that bound is a queer film i think it's something that um we'd love to know everyone's opinions on or sapphic films yeah mhm Sapphic films, yeah. Alright, well, we will see you soon. We'll see you soon. We're hoping to do holiday or holiday. Halloween, Halloween episode. That Halloween. one's gonna be fun. And we're we're gonna be talking about Jennifer's body, right? We're gonna do a Halloween. We're gonna do a Jennifer's body kind of explanation. Because I think that that in itself requires like a whole hour to discuss Jennifer's body. Jennifer's and, body is uh, amazing. And discuss 
where basically where it went so right yet it was treated so damn wrong i know people thought it flopped but it's one of it's her best film yeah yeah no, absolutely it's megan's best film i don't does, has she done more films she's did the transformers that was before though megan fox megan fox did transformers before jennifer's body yeah but she did holiday in the sun mary kate and ashley <laughs> do you not remember that one no who was she she was just some girl oh, <laughs> i don't, know. I I don't even think like, she had a name <laughs> what like she was gonna be the bully or something she was kind of a bully <laughs> well that's also the interesting thing how she's like been been typecast we're gonna talk a lot about that okay kind of we're team megan fox by the way yeah we're totally team megan fox okay but we'll talk about that and hopefully we're gonna be doing some live streams as well yeah we should do some live streams and so let us know let us know what you're looking for us to talk about comment on the nuns episode yeah sacrilegious (laughs) all right bye guys (laughs) My dreams, the dreams that you inspire.